you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. We'll get right into the word of the Lord today, Genesis chapter 39. I recognize what I'm up against today. You got to sleep an extra hour today, and uh, they start tricking us with all this time change, and um, so... You went to bed, slept an extra hour, got up feeling better. The problem is, is right now, it is officially 11.01, but your belly says it's 12.01. And unfortunately, thank you to all of those who do lunch on the go during our fall season, but that aroma of food is reaching all the way to the platform this morning, and... um, It's lunchtime. Genesis chapter 39, I'm going to read six verses, beginning with verse number one. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. Understand what you're reading here. Joseph was taken into captivity. He was sold into captivity. Yet he found grace in the sight of Potiphar, and he served him. And Potiphar made him overseer over his house and over all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house For Joseph's sake. I want you to get that. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. There's a powerful principle right there. In case you don't know it, your employer is blessed by the favor of God in your life. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had. Save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the worship these great people that are gathered this morning here in your presence. I pray over the word I'm about to speak that you inspired me with this past week. And I pray, God, that your word would find a spot in every heart this morning. God, we would be moved, affected, touched, blessed by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone shout amen. God bless you. You can be seated today. I want to talk to you today about the qualities of a good servant the qualities of a good servant. Servanthood is the path to greatness. Servanthood is the path 
to greatness. Servanthood is a practice of humility. Cultural times during Bible days was the practice in, in the culture of that day thought humility to be his weakness. It was more of a cultural trend of that day that humility was weakness. There's some people that still think that today. Paul warns the Corinthians to get over this and he tells them that they need to get, get over themselves and understand that they need to humble themselves, and that they need to serve. Can I just open this message, lesson this morning, whatever you would like to, to term it, and tell someone that you cannot allow the world's views, the current trends of our world, you cannot allow that to dictate your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So in other words, our thought process needs to be different than the rest of the world. It's hard for the world to understand this. Current society has a difficult time understanding this. But the last will be first in heaven. Because they're the ones who are the more like Jesus or the most like Jesus. The issue of servanthood is not the cost of service, but the result of service. It's how people view you because you will prefer another ahead of yourself. It's how the world, they say it in words like this, it's the, it's climbing the ladder. It's pushing someone down or pulling someone off the ladder so you can have your turn to climb the ladder. It happens in business. It happens in society. It even happens in our schools. We term it and call it bullying. In all reality, it is the mentality of many in our world that are determined to be better than someone else, to be above someone else, to climb to, to become higher, to be, to be Lord over someone else. The key to servanthood for Christ is to be the best servant that you can possibly be, even without being asked to be a servant at all. Although the scripture is full of telling us to take up our cross and follow him. There may be a burden to servanthood, but there's so much to do with the mindset and the way that you see it. Hopefully, when I'm done with this lesson today, it will help you understand a proper mentality, a proper way to approach servanthood. Servanthood is the path to greatness. It's the path to greatness in God's sight. And in the end, it'll be the path to greatness in your family, with every relationship that you have, in all reality, the people that you will prefer above you in the end will promote you above them because God will ordain your, 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 your process or your growth. Who will be the greatest? They asked Jesus. Jesus answers them and he said to them when his disciples asked, Father, who who will be the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus turns to them and, and tells them, He who is the least. He who is the servant. He who is the least. Many find their way into ministry, feel a call to ministry, and they see it as a stage and a, and, and, and a, and a microphone and, and popularity and a lot of social media followers. But the truth is, ministry is servanthood. And instead of a microphone, a true call to ministry is a call to take up a towel. 
It's a call to serve. It's a call to minister to those around you. There's some things that we can learn from the life of Joseph, particularly during his season of being a servant. We're going to look at this today, and we're, we're going to pull from the life of Joseph and see what the Scripture is teaching us about our own personal life. One thing we find a thread through Scripture over and again, that humility will always bring exaltation. If you're a note taker, you should write it down. And I'm going to give you scriptural facts and proof to this in a few moments. But humility will always bring exaltation. Before we can talk about the qualities of a good servant, perhaps first we need to discover what does it take to be a good servant in God's eyes. We're not talking about what society says. We're not talking about what cultural trends. But we are talking about the way God views greatness. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, to be great is to be servant. To be great is to be servant. So to be great in God's eyes is to be an obedient servant. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, I'm going to throw a few scriptures at you today as we're going through this lesson. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I want to take a moment and look at the life of Joseph. And when we're done, hopefully this all comes together and makes makes perfect sense. Joseph was a faithful servant because Joseph was an obedient servant. Joseph was faithful in everything that he did, so much that he was favored of God. Rather than seeking the favor of man, and there's nothing wrong with the favor of man. The favor of man will follow humility and servanthood. But if we seek the favor of man, oftentimes we will miss the favor of God. But if we seek the favor of God and seek after His will, seek after His righteousness, the Scripture puts it like this, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. So when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else is going to be added into your life. But first you've got to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, when you put the things of God first, Joseph was thrown into a pit for allowing his gifts and what God had placed in him and doing right. Joseph had done no wrong. He ended up in a pit that ended him in a prison that ended him into Potiphar's house as a servant. Think about this. He hadn't done anything wrong. Yet, he ends up a servant in Potiphar's house. But the end result of a pit and a prison and a Potiphar's house was that Potiphar's house ended up becoming his own palace. The blessings of God through what The enemy intended to destroy him. The blessings of God elevated him until he became ruler over Potiphar's house. Watch what God did for him. Because of the blessings and favor of God in Joseph's life, because Joseph was not a man that sought greatness in in men's eyes, but he sought the greatness of God. Everything that he did, God favored him. And therefore, he ends up in Potiphar's house. And the favor of God was on his life. 
and everything Joseph touched turned to gold. Potiphar's house started being blessed. Even his fields started being blessed. You know why? Because Joseph was going up to those who were farming in the field and he was saying, let me give you a few pointers because God was inspiring him with the gifts that was needed in order to be able to take something that was a horrible situation and turn it around. Why in the world would Joseph try to be a blessing to Potiphar and a blessing to Potiphar's house and bless him with abundance of herd and bless him with abundance in the field? Why would he do it? Because he was seeking the favor of God. A lot of folks in the world would have said, no, I'm going to get back at him. I'm going to get back at this man. I'm not going to serve him. If I serve him, it's going to be with drudgery. He would have gotten up every day if he would have had that mentality with a long face, a pouty attitude, come in sliding his feet, dragging his feet, putting in the minimum that was required. But instead, Joseph served God instead of serving Potiphar. And by serving God, he automatically serve Potiphar. Can I have a little liberty this morning? Everything we do as a church, everything we do as a ministry. Some people say, Pastor, we're trying to do this and that and the other. Bless these people. Bless this ministry. We're trying to do this outreach effort. How in the world, Pastor, how in the world? We need to focus more on what we're doing at home. Let me tell you what the Scripture teaches. When you bless the poor, you're never going to be in want. That's what the Scripture says. When we seek to please God, when we seek to do the will of God, everything else is going to come together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All the other things will be added. That's what the Scripture teaches. And so Joseph goes into Potiphar's house and he is blessed. Everything that he does is blessed. Let me throw a quick curveball to those of you that are paying close attention this morning. Joseph, we read the story of Joseph and just see Joseph, but all through the story of Joseph, you know what you see in his life is perfect typology of Jesus Christ. Through the whole story, as you read it, you'll start seeing things that parallel with Jesus Christ. Jesus had done no wrong, yet he was taken into captivity. Joseph was a faithful servant. He was obedient. Joseph is a perfect type of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 speaks of Christ and it says, And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself to be obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. It wasn't his cross to bear. It was our cross to bear. But he was obedient to the will of the Father which had ordained before the foundation of the world for Jesus Christ to come and go to a cross and bleed and die for us. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a perfect type that is being played out in the life of Joseph. The second thing I want to point to you this morning is that in order to be a great servant, one must be found faithful. Faithfulness is still important. Faithfulness in all areas of life is important. Faithfulness to your family. Faithfulness to your job. Faithfulness to your spouse. Oh, I should have got a stronger amen than that. Faithfulness to your church. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness in everything, in all we do, we should be faithful. To be, a, to be a great servant in God's eyes, we must be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2, the scripture says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A steward is an overseer of another's property. In other words, everything that you, the way you handle some, what somebody else has is how you are a steward. Watch the life of Joseph. He goes into Potiphar's house as a servant, yet he's found faithful because he's making sure that the herds are taken care of 
and that the fields are taken care of and not just squeaking by with a barely, but getting by on the other side with them going, wow, this field is never produced at the, at the level that it's producing. The, these, the, 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 this herd has never reproduced at the effectiveness that it's reaped. Everything in Potiphar's house, as a matter of fact, the scripture said that Potiphar's house was blessed so greatly that he just turned everything he had over to Joseph. He put it in Joseph's hand and the scripture said Potiphar didn't even know what he owned. Think about that. He didn't even know what he owned. He trusts Joseph to the point that he just turned it over to him and said, it's all yours, buddy. You run it. The only thing Potiphar knew was that when he went and sat down at the table, wow, look what I have. Only when he walked into his chamber, he looked around, wow, look how blessed I am. Just keep blessing, just keep trusting Joseph because this is what happens when you do. That only happens when you have a Joseph with a faithful foundation. He was a faithful spirit. Joseph was diligent in everything he did. In that typology I mentioned a few moments ago, it wasn't my intent to, intent to preach the typology pattern, but I want you to see that typology pattern as it is played out. Jesus was diligent about his master's business. As a matter of fact, he said, I must be about my father's business. All, all, it's all through scripture. The third thing that we learn from the life of Joseph is that great servants motivate others. Great servants motivate others. If you're sitting close to somebody that you're familiar with, why don't you just look at them and tell them, I want to be, a motiv- I want to be your motivator. I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hold you back. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to motivate you. I, I, I want to motivate you. Last, last Wednesday night, I taught a lesson here. Several of you were here. And I, I taught a lesson here on Wednesday night. And um, it, it, was a, it was a lesson regarding growth and, and the future of the church and kind of tying into what we're doing tonight. And um, so I... I finished the lesson and went home. Spencer came, sat down at the table, and uh, he opens up he opens up something on, on his computer that he had, and he said, uh, "Dad, uh, let me help you." And he immediately started taking the lesson that I had taught and started turning it into something that he's learned about nutrition and all this sort of thing. And he started trying to motivate me to lose weight. I got mad. <clears throat> I'm like, "How dare you mock me, son?" A great servant is a motivator of others. They're not a hindrance. They don't tempt others to fail. (coughs) Great servants don't motivate others toward failure. They don't push others toward failure. Great servants not only do their serve in their capacity, but they motivate others to do a great job themselves. Thus, how the prosperity of Potiphar's house came about because Joseph he wasn't a discourager of others he wasn't gloating in someone else's failure gloating in someone else's wrongdoing gloating about someone else's weakness that he may make himself look better that I would never do that why in the world are they doing what they're doing never ever ever that was you never find that in the life of Joseph Joseph was a motivator of others. He's motivating the servants in the field. He's motivating those that were taking care of the herds. He's motivating those that are taking care of the palace. He is a motivator, and he was motivating other people to do better. He he was the guy that showed up to work every day with a positive attitude. He was the guy that showed up after working all day into the house and said, come on now, we're going to have a good evening together. 
He didn't come home grouching at the family and kicking the dog and, and grumbling and wanting just to have his own private time. But he was one that came in and was a motivator of those around and said, come on, we can be better. Come on, we can do more. Come on, we can accomplish more. I tell you the kind of pastor I want to be. I want to be a motivator of the people that call CLC home. I want to motivate you to be a better Christian, a better husband, a better wife, a better a better a parent, a, a better friend, a better to do more for God. I want to motivate you to do more and to do better. I don't want to come in every time we come to church and it's all condemnation. How many of you prayed 893 hours this week? I want to see your hand. Shame on all of you. How dare I've got the grace and mercy of God in my own life. I want to come in and say, hey, you showed up this morning. God's here this morning. How about we have a good time in God's house today? How about we allow the blessings of God to be made pure in our life? I want to be a motivator of others. You too ought to seek to be a motivator. You ought to ask yourself, how am I in my home? How am I in my family? How am I when I am around my church family, when I'm with others? What does my social media account look like? Is it always the negative innuendos of nobody's as great and as good as me? Let me post something that makes me look great. Or is it I want to motivate somebody else to do more and to do better? I want to be a motivator. When I get around the people of God, I don't want to be a discouragement. I don't want to talk about everything that's wrong. Of course, we all deal with wrongs. Do you think, you think Joseph didn't have something to complain about? He was a servant for goodness sake. He wasn't even getting paid for the job he's doing. Think about that. He wasn't there because he signed up for it. He was there because he was bought as a slave. He didn't end up he didn't end up on that job where he was because he was his family loved him. He got thrown in a pit by his own brothers. Yet he had a spirit and an attitude that says, wherever I am, I'm still going to please God. And I'm going to motivate others because he learned the principle. If I can somehow be a motivator of others, if I can push others to do better, I'm not going to be a grumbling uh, uh, complainer. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to go around saying, why do I have to do everything around here? Why, why is this place not like mine? Well, maybe it's not because maybe it's not your palace, Joseph. Why aren't they eating my kind of food? Maybe you're not an Egyptian, Joseph. Why is it like this and why is it like that? Because you have been put in a place with the hand of God on your life because God has a greater purpose and plan that you don't even know about. Because remember, we know the end of the story of Joseph and we know how that everything that he went through ended up saving his own family. Oh my. He had to go through all of that and, and everybody's like, why I never, there is no way. I can promise you, if you haven't read to the end of the story of Joseph to see how in the end, just before his family dies of starvation, God opens the windows of heaven through Joseph to take care of the people that... That threw him in a pit. Yet he understands that God has a greater plan. Can I pause and just minister to somebody this morning and tell you that it doesn't matter where you are in life, what you're going through, and how bad that you have it. it could it be possible that God is working? Do you think Joseph knew what God was going to do in the end, that God was going to turn back around and reward him, and that he was, gonna, he was going to be elevated to the level, and that his entire family was going to be saved because of him being willing to do what God had had. had positioned him in his life for what appeared to be failure turned around to, to end being his prosperity 
We need to be careful about grumbling, grumbling over the things we do for God, grumbling over the ministry that we're serving in in the church, grumbling about the people that we serve with, grumbling about all the things that are around us. Don't they realize I'm already busy? Don't they realize I'm struggling on my own? Don't they realize instead, why don't we turn it around and say, I'm going to motivate others and say, hey, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to do my best. Joseph motivated others to succeed in their field of labor. I'm going to tell you what we need in the church. We need some encouragers to rise, to tell their brothers and sisters, not complaining about everything that they don't like, but saying, hey, come on, we're going to make this better. We're going to do this better. We're going to do this together. We're going to stick together. I dare you. I dare you to put this into action. When our teachers walk out of their classrooms and assistants walk out and all of our children's ministry walk out on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, when they come walking out, I dare you when you line up to pick up your children, if you just move over to the side and when that teacher comes out, you have a smile on your face and you don't have one complaint or one negative comment, but you just say, thank you for taking care of my kids. I want to tell you what how blessed I am, how blessed my children are. You want to know what will bless this mu- these music? Musicians and this music team is not to complain, but to come up and say, hey, thank you for leading us in worship today. Thank you for playing, Brother Drew. Thank you for giving it your best, Sister Cheryl. Thank- I'm telling you, you'll begin to motivate them. They'll begin to excel. They'll begin to do better because when we become a motivator, the hand of the Lord will be upon them and upon us. It's difficult to work with people that think they have all the answers, but they've never passed the first test. They can't pass the test of faithfulness in their own home and family and marriage, yet they have the answer of the way a church ought to operate. Ignore those kind of people. Be a Joseph and declare, you know what? I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to motivate and encourage others. I wonder what would happen if Brother Brandon comes walking down with his wife at home sick with pneumonia and, and he comes walking down this morning, I wonder what would happen if about two dozen if, uh, parents was lined up back here in the back and just started shaking his hand and hugging him and saying, man, you're the greatest student pastor. You, I, Man, we love, I wonder what in the world, that he would go home today and say, I have no idea what happened. But man, I came down today, he would be pumped up. He'd be a different guy when he walks into this place tonight. That's how you motivate. Instead of finding fault, find what's good. Instead of magnifying weaknesses, magnify what's positive. Number four. Well, that that food's smelling so good. I hope you ordered us a plate in that. Four plates? Wow, two apiece? Woo, you go, girl. So much for the diet, Spencer. Number four, great servants take the initiative. They don't wait to be asked or wait to be told. They take the initiative. They see opportunity, they do it. Great servants like Paul did it at his own, at his, at his conversion. Watch his first words. The moment that the Lord saves Paul, he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? Wow. Just let that settle in. He didn't say, Lord, what position would you like for me to step into? He said, Lord, what would you like for me to do? Great servants ask questions like, what can I do to help you out? How can I serve? Or beyond that, great servants just see a need somewhere and they just step in and do it. You come in and find out, wow, I didn't even know that was broken, but it was already fixed. I'm going to tell you, we have some great servants in our church. I couldn't tell you the number of times. I'm going to compliment some of our elders. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I've driven up at the church and seen men like Brother Gary Irons or Brother Everett 
and, and, and it's with Everett, it's all the time. You just drive up, and he's, he's busy working on something. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I'm fixing this thing that was broke. I didn't even know it was broke. Brother Everett, thank you for being a great servant. He served our nation. He serves his family. He serves his community. He serves his church. Whew. Give us some more Josephs. Give us some more Everett's. Joseph's success and prosperity was because of the blessings of the Lord and because he had taken the initiative to get things accomplished. Do you think he just sat back and let the, the fields do what the fields wanted to do and it was just the blessings of God only? It was just the Lord made the sun come down just right and he made the rain come down just right. I believe God did all that, but you know what? Somebody had to till the field. Somebody had to plant the seed. Somebody had to take care of the harvesting. You see, what we have a tendency to do if we're not careful, we get caught up praying, God, just my storehouse is empty. Fill it up. And the Lord said, okay, there's a field. <laughs> Go to work, and I'll fill it up. Here's the difference between a message like I'm preaching this morning and prosperity preachers that you might be able to catch online or on TV today. They're going to tell you, oh, just smile and say the right words, and all of a sudden heaven's going to open up and your bank account's going to be full. I don't find it anywhere in Scripture. But what I do find is when a faithful servant goes out in the field and begins to labor, let me tell you the success of you getting rich. There's four letters you need to write down. Success of you getting rich. W-O-R-K. Work. There's some other ones that I could spell for you too. Savings. No credit cards. Minimize debt. Don't buy things you don't need. In other words, be a good steward. Here's why it's not your money anyway, it's all his. He just gives it to you to see how you're going to take care of it. Well, I'm meddling just a little. Number five, great servants think of others before they think of themselves. You've probably never heard of the man by the name of Eon Hawkins, but Enyan Hawkins. Enyan was the epitome of what characterized putting characterizes putting others ahead of themselves. During World War II, Enyan was a seaman aboard a British Navy ship called the British Dominion. On January the 10th, 1943, German U-boats fired torpedoes into his British ship, and the ship exploded into flames and was burning. Many of the crew jumped in to the waters to escape with only their lives. However, this was, there was even more danger. There was the threat because the ship's fuel tanks were leaking fuel into the water and the water was ablaze all around the burning ships. Inyan was one of the crewmen that jumped in. He was also a very strong swimmer. Keeping his wits about him, he organized all of those who were in the water and began to encourage those who were weak swimmers and began to formulate a method by which that they could help one another instead of hurting one another. And nobody was left behind and they were all moving together into safety and out of the burning ring of fire. It was his example and encouragement, especially to the weaker swimmers, that kept them going. The article says on two occasions, Inyan left the group to turn back to save others, meaning that he who was the leader had already discovered and empowered other leaders to push them to continue to go forward so he could go back into the burning waters 
to save those that was left behind. On two occasions, he goes back to save and successfully save the lives of the remaining two that would have burned to death or drowned in those waters that day. But Inyan saves them in the end. He ends up with severe burns upon his face. It was manifest the obvious of what he had done and accomplished. When he died in 2001, his face scarred from the burns of saving others' lives. I want to bring you a very sobering thought this morning. We need some Indians that rise among us at CLC that recognize that sometimes I'm going to have to get involved in things that I never wanted to get involved in in order to save somebody's life. It may cost me, but to every person that is addicted, I want to tell you that we're a church that's willing to involve ourselves in your life and willing to come to where you are and help you. To every person that's dealing with an addiction, to every person that's struggling with alcohol, that's struggling with drugs, prescription medication, illegal medications, whatever it may be, I come this morning to tell you that there's a pastor standing in this pulpit this morning to tell you there's help for you. And there's not just help for you, but I'm willing to jump in and swim to where you are today and reach to where you are to pull you out, to bring you up, to get you out of that life. Your family's going to be better for it. Your life is going to be better for it. Your eternity's sure going to be better for it. You're going to thank God for it someday. What's preventing you, ladies and gentlemen? We've got to be soul winners. We've got to be a helper. We've got, we got to do more than just stand out and ask our community, why don't you give to this project or that project? We've got to turn around and go to where they are and say, while you're giving to this, we're giving back in this area. We're here to help those that are, that are suffering and struggling, those homes that are being broken. I'm here to be a listener. One of the members of our church called me the other day, met somebody, said they needed some help. They needed somebody to talk to. I wasn't available at that specific time. I gave them phone numbers and said, here's some numbers that you can call to professional counselors that are available. They didn't have money, neither did they have the trust, but somehow they felt like they could trust the ch our church member that they had just met. I, I had faith and confidence in them. And I said, Brother Bill, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to go in and be a good listener. I want you to be wise in what you do. I want you to tell them I'm not a professional counselor, but I'm a Holy Ghost filled, God-fearing individual that knows the Word of God. I'm going to listen and I'm going to help you. We've got to go to where they are and help bring them out. It's worth risking everything for. I'm quickly closing this morning. Number six, to be a great servant in God's eyes, one must be a humble servant. You can't be arrogant James chapter 4 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We've got to recognize that we're not better than anyone. When the apostle went down the whole list of all the sins that was rampant among them, he goes in and starts talking about liars and fornicators and adulterers and persecutors and drunkards and he just goes down the whole list and when he gets to the end of the list he said oh and by the way and such were some of you I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you it's the same grace and mercy that saved me my wife and I three or four years ago drove to we, we flew out to LA we had two days off we flew to LA for our 25th wedding anniversary rented a car we were just driving around sightseeing we went down to Skid Row uh, actually, accidentally, we didn't set out to go to Skid Row. We got lost. Uh, you can imagine I was driving. And we ended up down in Skid Row, and you've never in your life seen the depth of sin. And it was not hidden, and it's so rampant that they, the authorities can't even do anything about it. People were standing. The things we witnessed and saw just driving through. Our doors were locked. We had a convertible. We covered the top on the convertible. We locked our doors. My wife was over there praying the, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus prayer the whole way through. The things that we saw people doing. 
We drove through there looking and watching drug deals happening, watching people with their arms bound up as they're shooting needles in right on the street corner. We drive out the other side of it. It was a sober moment for my wife and I both. We looked at one another and said, we're not any better than any of them. They need God. My wife tried to get me to go rent a building and start a church right there. We need God. They need God. The world around you needs God. Your neighbors need God. Oh, they're not like us. Oh, but such were some of you. But the writer went on to say, but we are, we, are, we are washed, but we are sanctified. It's the work of God. It's the work of grace and mercy that we're where we are today. Finally, my last point, number seven, to be great in God's eyes is to be a selfless servant. To be a selfless servant. One who will not say, well, this is mine and it's going to remain mine, but one says, I will do whatever I can to help others. A selfless servant doesn't see a man that is wounded on a street side and walk to the other side of the street and keep walking. The Bible gives us a great example of that. But the good Samaritan goes to where he's at, picks him up, put him on his own beast, sends him to the hospital, and he tells him at the hospital, i got to leave, but whatever the bill is, I'm going to pay it at the end. I read about a church recently. Some of you may have heard about this a church who went and negotiated with a local hospital and they bought several years of hospital debts. I don't know if any of you, anybody read about that. They bought several years of hospital debt. The church invested something like $120,000 of their missions money to go and pay off. The hospital negotiated with them. If they would give $120,000, they wrote off $5 million worth of medical debts. And the people that didn't know the church, the church didn't know, nobody connected with them, they get a letter in the mail that said, your debt has been canceled. What do you think that did for those people? What about it, Christian Life Church? You and I have a debt we could never pay. But Jesus Christ, he went to the cross of Calvary and shed his own life's blood so that you and I are just left one little document that says your debt has been canceled. Your debt has been canceled by the blood of Jesus. I want you to know this morning, no matter your background, no matter where you came from, no matter where, what your background looks like, I want to tell you this morning, your debt has been canceled. God has made a way for you. God has already paid the price. Whatever, whatever struggles you may have in your life, maybe some of the things I've talked about in the life of Joseph this morning, maybe, maybe it said to you, wow, I've got a lot to work on. I've got some areas. I, I may not be great, a great servant in God's eyes. I want you to know this morning that you can be. The issue is you've got to take the first step. And the first step is recognizing we are, none of us are everything that we should be and everything that we ought to be or everything that we can be. If you're here this morning and you're like, yep, got it all figured out, got all the answers, got the t-shirt, I don't need any help, I don't need, you should be the first that runs to the front of the room this morning to recognize that you, you need the help of God. If you're the one this morning that said, I, I miss on most of those, God's here for you today. He wants to lend the support that you need. Because truly, He is the path to greatness. He's the path that you need. You can try anything that you want to try. You can read all the books you want to read. But at the core, we need Jesus. More than we need anything else, fame, fortune, wealth, we need Jesus. Why don't you stand with me if you would today? I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads with me where you are.
Maybe somebody would just like to start whispering a prayer to the Lord and just say, help me, Jesus. David said he knows our substance. He knows everything about us. He knows the way we are. He knows who we are. He knows not, he knows more than just the facade of who we are, the harshness and the hardness of our personality. He knows, he knows the weakness. He knows your heart this morning. He knows the areas of the message that I preached this morning when you said I really, internally you said I really need to work on that. The Lord already knew that. He sent this word this morning to see if you would just be open and honest enough to step from where you are into the front of this room and say, God, I'm coming to you today. Open and honest, here I am. I open these altars this morning. If there would be some in the house that just feels a call to pray, you'd like to walk to the front of this room. God bless those that are already moving. Why don't you come today and just talk to the Lord and commit to him and just say, Lord, here I am. I want to serve you all the days of my life. I want to serve you. Everybody's welcome this morning. Why don't you just come make this house a prayer room for a moment? Oh, let this song be your prayer today. Let this song be your prayer. Oh, yes. Make me in your image. Wash me white. Wash me. 